he thrusts his fists against the posts and still insists he sees the ghosts. He thrusts his fists against the posts and still insists he sees the ghosts. He thrusts his fists against the posts and still insists he sees the ghosts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm Luke. And I'm James. This week we conclude our coverage of Stephen King's 1986 horror epic, It. Now let's fly into the macroverse. Cheers, man. Last part. We made it through. Congrats. Can't believe we made it through this huge thousand-page book. What an undertaking for our first podcast. Well, it's my second time, too. But, uh, yeah, we will we will be seeing this movie um, to really conclude our coverage of the of the material. But this this is the part five, the final section for this book. All right, let's let's uh, let's launch into it. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. So part five begins with the adults making uh like breaking for the night from the library uh all their hands begin to spontaneously bleed where the old cuts were and they have this kind of like power moment where like the typewriter starts typing he thrusts his fist against the post you know and energy's in the room and they think about the ritual and they say they start to remember everything but of course we learned that they're not really remembering quite everything they just keep feeling like they're remembering everything, but then there's bits and pieces they still get later. Um, Bill feels like he's falling in love with Bev again, and uh, Bev and Bill embrace, and she admits to hating her father. And uh, as she's thinking about her father, we get uh, we go into the first like flashback section. So Bev is thinking about, uh, in 1958... She is coming home, and her father has been waiting for her. And she realizes he's been to the Barrens because he's, like, tracked a very specific kind of mud into the house. And he's, like, this is a moment where it's described as it fills the hollow places in people is an exact quote from the book. And essentially, it has it takes people who have these, you know, as we've talked about many times, who have, like, a violent impulse and it turns it up and it's it's doing this with her father in this moment he's kind of got this glassy stare and you know it's not to say that he doesn't have these thoughts but it's definitely getting amped up through it yeah and it it, it goes beyond a violent nature with bev's dad because he had been like a violent to her but i don't think that there was really any situations besides this where he had like been this like outwardly sexually abusive towards her like he was like it was aggressive and i was like fearful for bev in the situation because i was like all right well this is like 
this is this crazy guy who's obviously been beating her her whole childhood, but he's like amped up to 11 because of Pennywise. And it's just taking it to a place where she can be in emotional like trauma, like situations for the rest of her life because of this. Yeah. So he's obsessed with finding out if she's been having sex and he's like demanding to like check her and all this gross stuff. And um, she doesn't even understand what he's talking about, but she knows that he considers it like the worst thing she could possibly do. And she has, she has like denying it. And then he kind of chases after her and she literally runs out of the house and he's trying to like beat her and do gross things to her. And he runs after her into the street and we start to see more proof of townsfolk who are kind of turning blind eyes to blind eyes to things. And um, so a lot of people don't react the way they probably should. And he um, he chases after her. She jumps under like a dumpster truck thing, crawls under it, um, gets all dirty and covered in um, that garbage smell. He crawls after her. They both kind of get cut up. She runs, keeps running, gets away, like hides in a cemetery, I think it was. And as she's hiding, um, she uh, he she sees her father kind of go by and he can't find her. So there's like a neighbor who is like reading the paper and when Bev runs out of the house with her dad after her and he's screaming like sexually abusive things at her down the road, this some of the neighbors react negatively like, oh, there's something bad going on. But there is one neighbor um, who like is sitting in a lawn chair out front and he's like reading a newspaper. And when this happens, he literally just gets up and walks inside like nothing happened. So it's just like kind of I don't know if it's part of like its ritual that once it's begun for a cycle that like he gets influence over the city and slowly they just more and more become more and more like apathetic and just don't care about what's happening to a little girl who's potentially going to be raped and like beat by her father in, in the streets in public. Yeah. Well, we've talked about how pervasive his influence is or its influence is, And we see that that's, that's on display here for sure. Um, I did want to say here, I think this scene is a little bit of a, I mean, really a lot of Bev's scenes up till now, but this scene in particular, I think, is also kind of key when we're going to discuss the controversial scene later. I don't want to get into it too much, but I just want to, like, put a pin in this. So I think this is an important scene here to kind of understanding some of what goes on later. Okay, so she decides to go to the hideout. And as she's on her way to the hideout, hoping to meet with the Losers Club, um, the bullies... Um, kind of fall in behind her and start chasing her. Um, and we see Henry draw a switchblade and uh, she she can like feel something behind her. And then uh, and then we jump back to 1985 and we have Mike Hanlon similarly feeling like he's being watched and he's in the library. And he's flipping through his notebook and he hears a footstep. He grabs a letter opener for self-defense. And then he sees someone approaching through the glass hallway, and it's Henry Bowers. And he starts throwing his old taunts at him, like racial epithets and so forth. And uh, he asks, Henry Bowers asks him if he ever hears voices from the moon. And he says that uh, the voice in the moon told him where to look to find his old switchblade. And he has that now. And uh, he lunges at Mike. They have this battle. Uh, Henry stabs Mike's leg. Um... Mike gets a few good stabs on him. Um, and then during the fight, Stan's head pops up from behind the table like, a, like a, in a jack-in-the-box. 
in this really kind of gruesome madhouse kind of way and uh then yeah then finally mike uh embeds the letter opener in henry bauer's belly and henry has to kind of run away and both of them are left just bleeding and badly wounded mike actually probably worse because he's gotten stabbed in the leg possibly like a femoral artery we hear and it's not clear whether or not he's even going to be able to survive and he picks up the phone and he's trying to like call for help but on the other end he only hears pennywise and pennywise taunting him and he kind of says like in case anyone can hear me I'm not being allowed to, to hear you, but come here and help me. And so we don't know if he even is able to call for help. When the scene started um, and Henry showed up, I was like, oh, maybe this is like the beginning of my theory coming coming to fruition. We're going to see. Oh, that's right. You thought maybe Henry Bauer's uh, redemption arc? Yeah, I thought there might be a redemption arc coming. And uh, then he stabbed him in his femoral artery. And I was like, well, fuck Henry Bauer's. <laughs> uh, he totally ruined my theory. Uh yeah, I mean, he they, they got into this crazy battle, and Mike basically is like, I think I'm going to die. And Henry gets totally wrecked, too, in the stomach area. He gets stabbed a whole bunch of times by Mike. and then. But the part that I liked the most about this was when he picked up the phone, Mike picked up the phone to call for help, and Pennywise came on the line and was, like, messing with him and saying, like, you're dead, you're going to die. And Mike is just, like, so smart, and he's, like, done all the research, and he's level-headed, and he's just, like... If you can hear me on the other line, I can't hear you, but come come to the library and save me because I'm badly injured and all this stuff. And I thought that was awesome. That He's just, like, so cunning. He's He figured it out. Yeah, I think that's the one thing the adults... I mean, the kids have it at this point, too, but they've figured out, like, some of his tricks and, and have become a little bit, not immune, but resistant to their effects. Otherwise, they would, they would not survive at all. So then we hop back to 1958. I'm going to try as much as possible to, to keep the years because there's a lot of jumping back and forth and it can get it can get dis- disorienting sometimes. So back in 1958, Henry Bowers catches up to Bev, grabs her ponytail, and um, basically is kind of assaulting her when this old woman drives up in a car and starts yelling. Henry Bowers is basically like gone so crazy, he doesn't give a fuck. And he runs at the car and like starts like kicking it and stuff and the old woman like drives away basically in terror of what uh, Henry's going to do. And he's been dragging Bev along with him. And then uh, she takes the opportunity to get a kick him, kick him in the balls. And then she spits on him and then runs. And then uh, Henry Bowers chases after her. Bev can't catch a break in this whole section. She's got her dad coming at her. She's got Henry coming at her. I mean, it's just like, it's just nonstop. And this, this section, I was literally like, why is no one else there to help her? Why doesn't anybody else show up? And then eventually... Someone Whenever they're does. on their own, away from the rest of the losers' club, they feel really vulnerable, right? I felt the same way about like Mike in the library when he's just on by himself, and you're like, "Oh, where's everybody else?" Yeah, you got. They've got to stay together. I don't know how they didn't learn that from the first bout, the first round with Pennywise when they were kids. Um. So, uh, yeah. Next up, we're back in 1985, and it's Bill and Bev walking hand in hand, and this is kind of like a romantic series here where they go to the hotel room and he keeps thinking like i'm gonna cheat on my wife and he's kind of like kind of in denial about it but also kind of like realizing it's gonna happen um they kind of start making out um she admits that tom is a lot like her father and she can see it clearly now that she can remember it and i had like this is a i wanted to segue to a thought i had about this book in general in that it feels to me like all of the characters have been denied 
personal growth that that they went through as children because of this whole memory thing and the fact that they can't remember everything that happened as kids like it's really kind of tragic because you feel like she wouldn't have done she wouldn't have been with tom if she could remember what she went through as a kid but because she forgot that she was denied that like personal growth so i don't know it adds like a layer of tragedy to it to me i agree i mean with what happens later on like certain characters would act differently after that and because they don't they kind of fall into the same character traits that they have before it well eddie is another example right exactly eddie eddie remains this like hypochondriac type person even after what they go through which doesn't really make that much sense yeah well okay then i have they make sweet sweet love (laughs) They definitely do. See, I was, kin- yeah. I just like didn't really even want them to, to get together. I don't know about you. Yeah, like, I was, I well, that- I was gonna ask how you felt. About- I mean, like, I feel like I cu- just because I knew it was coming, but like, I don't know. I guess I do still feel it feels a little bit like this throughout this whole book. It feels a little weird because it it seems like Ben and her are the ones that should be more destined to be with each other. But it's also kind of true to life, and that it doesn't always work out the way maybe that it seems like it should be. I don't know. Is that why you felt weird about it? I just don't think I was ever, like, rooting for it to happen. Like, I feel like there might be people who, like, read it and, like, kind of buy into it in a way. I, and, like, it's obviously there's the there's the fact that he's cheating on his wife, which is super fucked up. But he – it's, like, I didn't even really see them other than, like, like lusting for each other. Like, I didn't really see it. You know what I mean? I just think that they wanted each other, not that they actually loved each other in the way that they kind of make it seem like they do. Well, and I think in, a, in something I'm going to bring up again later – I think it is also a moment of Bev, although this scene's from Bill's point of view, she is kind of the, like, one who puts a lot of this into motion. It felt like she was kind of coming on to Bill more than the other way around, and he was reciprocating. And so, to me, it felt like another scene of her, like, having her own agency with her sexuality, and something that she doesn't have with Tom and with her father, who's been very guarded of, like, who she is attracted to and who she can be physical with. And so I think maybe this has something to do with what happens later too. Like it can be another stepping stone in that direction. So something to remember when we get to that. I had a question for you about this part. Um, We spoke before about how Stephen King is kind of similar to the character of Bill. Yeah. I just want, I was just wondering like, you know, how he's married a movie star and all of these things. Yeah. Uh, How do you think, how many conversations do you think he and his wife have had about this, this whole (laughs) situation here? (laughs) Uh, I wasn't going that route, but that's pretty funny to think about. Sure. I mean, the way he writes it, the way he writes it, you're like, is this what is this Stephen King like, sexual fantasies? Like, what's going on here? Like, because he kind of made it himself. I I do feel like people sometimes like to throw around like Mary Sue's accusations and stuff, and you can almost see Bill as that in this book. I don't think he is, but. Um, I think it's fair to say if, if like some other author is being accused of it for, a, you know, a different kind of character, I think it's fair to look at Bill this way because he does, I mean, he does like, he gets the girl, but then he also gets the movie star and he gets, you know, he gets everything really. I don't, I don't think that uh, like, I, I, I'm just mentioning it because we talked about it before, how they're similar. I don't think that he's actually like a surrogate for Stephen King. I think it's just literally him being like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's interesting to think about for sure. I mean, it's you can't look over the fact that he is a horror writer. You know what I mean? Like who has had a similar career to Stephen King himself, and he's the main character, and he's the like really the main protagonist, and he's 
kind of, you know, he's the one who has all the power ultimately. Okay, so let's move on. Um, now they are running uh, from Henry Bowers into the Barrens. This is in 1958. Uh, Bev arrives at the hideout, um, jumps in with Ben, and they hide in the dark, watching the outlines of bullies through like the slit in the uh, in the the trap door. And they're thumping around overhead, and there's kind of some tense moments. And then they both start fighting laughter as they're both like kind of oddly just like cracking up about the whole situation and then uh belch finally leaves and they both start laughing and then um in that moment bev abruptly thanks ben for the haiku because she's like kind of put two and two together and figured out that it was him and he's super embarrassed about it but admits to loving her and then she admits that she likes bill but she says that she likes him too and then she goes on to tell him how crazy Henry has was acting and how she thinks he's even crazier than he's been before. And then that maybe it is using him. Um, and that it, with it influencing him that he actually could kill them. And uh, yeah, this scene ends with them coming out of the hideout and heading to go find the rest of the Losers Club where they think they might be. Ben and Bev's relationship is like a big part of this book. And I think this this scene here is like a like one of the major pieces of the puzzle to, that leads to kind of what happens later, like them being in this small space, like huddled together and like fighting laughter in this like dangerous situation. It's kind of just like a character, just a character like a bonding for. Yeah, bonding. That's that's yeah. a good way to say it. They're just bonding like a good character bonding scene. And um at first when they were laughing i could i was like why are they laughing i don't i don't understand it at all and then for some reason i started laughing too because <laughs> i genuinely found it funny that like they were down there like laughing because this kid's like sitting on top of the trap door and it's like creaking like it's gonna break and then he's like he's like saying a bunch of dumb stuff because he's not the smartest guy yeah, he's like talking to himself he's talking to himself saying some funny stuff and then and then he just starts like ripping farts and stuff and he's just yeah. like they're just well, like that down point, there of course you're gonna laugh yeah so they're just like they're just like stifling laughter and like the face of danger. This was a cool scene. They had a they had a nice bonding time together. Okay, so then next we jump to Henry Bowers back in 1985. He's outside the library, kind of hiding from a police car that drives by. He's hiding in a ditch, and he's thinking about um, how when the head popped up from behind the 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 desk in the in the library, he saw Victor's head on it. We learn, and. Um, then he hears the ambulance coming and he kind of gets this like, oh shit, maybe maybe Mike's like called them and he's going to end up surviving. But then he keeps like telling himself, no, no, no way. I, I totally, like I got him good. He's going to die. He thinks about how, in his words, it came from the sky and uh, came from the spaces between the stars. And he kind of thinks about, you know, like the voice from the moon and, and all this stuff. And then he kind of goes, launches into an, another memory from 1958 where he's chasing after Bev and looking for her and she, her, and she kind of just disappeared. So back in 1958, Henry Bowers, uh, it's in his POV now. And we, and we, we, we hear that he is, or he's sitting there and he feels like his uh, balls are swelling up from getting kicked and he's looking around for Bev and, um, he hears this voice from the pumping station that tells him to wait and watch. And a very creepy uh, Pennywise voice. 
and uh, so he does. He he decides that's Sif's plan. They're gonna they're gonna wait and they're gonna be patient and they're gonna because the, he knows that eventually they're gonna um, like lead him to the rest of them. He wants to get all of them. And uh, then he starts having this memory of this morning, where he got this switchblade um, that came to him in a box that was covered in balloons. And I noted that uh, the return address said Mr. Robert Gray, Dairy Maine on this uh, package he got that contained the switchblade, which we know is one of its aliases, which is still pretty mysterious. So then uh, we learned that he, as soon as he got the switchblade, he went back inside his house and put it up to his father's sleeping throat and like pulled the trigger and basically murdered his father and then uh, went out to, uh, to find the losers with the moon telling him, kill them all. All right, so uh, next up we got Henry back in 1985, and he's laying in the ditch, and a car shows up, and it tells him he's sent a ride. And uh, he, he realizes it's the, it's the car his father always wanted, and he, uh, he comes up and he gets inside, and Belch Huggins is in the driver's seat, and he's, like, zombified, rotting, dead. And uh, Henry grabs some wine from the glove compartment, drinks it and he thinks about how a dead boy is driving this car and he doesn't know that how that can be true and then he uh he tries to like explain to him why he couldn't save him and we we hear some about how the frankenstein's monster uh ripped vic's head off and that henry ran and got lost and then eventually kind of made his way out and he knows that belch was uh killed by the monster too and then belch drives henry to the hotel um, basically tells him to shut up and go get go get them. And uh, then Pennywise gives him like a little memo that's got all of their room numbers written on it. All of the all the people who are at the hotel. It's crazy to me that that Pennywise has the power to make Henry basically all knowing. He can be like, all right, here's your switchblade from when you were a kid. Here's a here's a some car that comes to pick you up. Like, a car had to have come to pick him up. Yeah, the car thing there. is weird because I don't feel like we ever get a good explanation for what's really happening there. The only thing is that, like, he actually manifests these. Like, these, they're not illusions in the sense that they don't have any real presence, because they do. So, somehow he is able to use Henry's fear to actually make a working car that was driven by a zombie. So, right. <laughs> I mean, that's so, the only explanation, right? Yeah, I mean, because he got there. He got to the hotel. So he got a ride. He got his childhood switchblade that he killed a bunch of people with, or killed his dad with at least. Um, and then he knows exactly where all the losers club is. So it's like such a deadly combination because he just Henry doesn't like he's so out of his mind, and he's got the power of Pennywise behind him. Oh, so I should say Henry goes up to Eddie's room, decides he's going to go there first, and um, knocks on the door and announces that he's the bellboy. And that he's got a message from Eddie's wife. And then, you know, just as Eddie's opening the door, we kind of go back in time. And um, now we're in 1958. And Eddie, Stan, and Richie are all together. And then Bill and Mike come along on their bikes. And together they head down towards the Barrens and they encounter Ben and Bev. And, uh, you know, Bev's all messed up and kind of fills them in on what's been going on with Henry. And then they all go down to the Kenduskeeg. And Eddie begins to feel apprehensive as if the town seems ready for a showdown. It's like quiet, weirdly. And the light seems different. 
and then uh, Eddie feels like someone is watching him. So then it jumps right back to 1985. Eddie opens the door to Henry Bowers, and Henry Bowers stabs in, but Eddie basically on reflex like slams the door into the knife. I think Henry like throws Eddie, breaks his arm. Eddie gets this bottle, breaks it open, cuts Henry's face with it, slashes open his eye, and then... Um, yeah, they exclaim, exchange some more blows. And then finally, uh, Eddie falls to the ground with like the broken end of the bottle pointing upward. And Henry falls on top of it and impales himself on the bottle. And then Henry gets up and he sees Henry... Uh, or, sorry, Eddie gets up and he sees Henry like on the ground gurgling. And this kind of like like wondering if he's going to die or not. And then he does, essentially. And so he goes, he calls over to Bill's room and says he uh, says he just killed Henry Bowers. I didn't expect Eddie to kill Henry Bowers, and I also didn't really expect Henry Bowers to die. And it was kind of just like not as climactic as I expected. You didn't expect him to die here or at all? Oh, I mean, I expected him to die. I didn't expect him to die here. Okay, you th- so it seemed like an early death. Yeah, I just I figured he was going to make it to the sewers. Like I figured he was going to make it um, hmm. a little further. But and yeah, I just didn't expect Eddie to kind of like kill him with a bottle after he, you know. It just, I don't know. I felt like, I felt like every kind of, every single one of the Losers Club had a, had a gripe against Henry. So like all of them may have been involved in defeating him, but they weren't, it was kind of just like Eddie got him. Yeah. Well, Mike softened him up as, as Eddie even says. That's true. All right. So now we're back in 1958 and we see Bill and Eddie, um, arriving at the head hideout and, um, well the whole Losers Club really. And Bill says he can feel that the bullies are watching them, but he doesn't understand why they haven't come out yet. And then he kind of has this feeling like they're they're all pawns being set against each other in some, like, you know, huge game. And uh, he wants to end the cycle. And he also knows that, like, the, ta- the townsfolk are just going to let this happen and that we get this first time where he says, Derry is it they're essentially one and the same and that no one will help them or even see if they were if they were in need of help and so they have no choice but to go down into the sewers and face it essentially as they're like kind of deciding to do this the boys start throwing rocks at them from their woods and chase them to the pumping station as they're getting pelted with rocks and uh, ben knows where to go so he leads them to it and then they climb down into the pumping station and Bill carries Eddie on his back because Eddie's arm is broken. I like that the kids finally caught on to the fact that like nobody's really that willing to help them because of its influence. Like they're kind of realizing that he has inf- he can't he doesn't necessarily do it on his own. He either uses your fear or your influence or something like that rather than actually out and out just coming and murdering people, which he does do sometimes, but yeah. It, he likes to manipulate well, and, and they know that they don't have, like, they're, like the cavalry isn't coming for them. Like, they have no help because he won't let the town help them. It's really, like, they're on their own. In this moment, they kind of really realize that. So, yeah, they go down into the into the pumping station. Richie's shouting, making chicken noises at Henry and the, and the, and the bullies. And uh, he even bites Henry's ankle when Henry starts to come down. And then uh, Henry kind of has this moment where he looks down and sees them all waiting and decides he doesn't he doesn't want any of that so he goes back up and then kind of starts throwing down rocks and then um 
they decide that that now's the time they got to head down into the sewers and 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 have the have the battle with it uh itself and they head deeper in it was good to see henry for the coward that he was he wouldn't go in to fight them like on his own he's not courageous enough he realized that he was outnumbered so he's just like i'll just wait out here and nickel and dime him with some some rocks yeah, I mean, he does end up coming in, but it's only once like the way is safe, right? Then he goes down to uh, to chase after him. He's got to have his backup with him, essentially. Yeah. So next up, we get um, we we flash back to 1985, and we get Tom Rogan, and he's in his hotel room, and uh, he's having this dream about killing his father, even though we learned that his father had committed suicide. So this isn't how his father dies. So it's this weird thing that's about to happen again with Audra. And that he's dreaming that he is Henry Bowers and that he's chasing after the losers in 1958 and he can feel their anger and he can think about how he wants to kill them and how these moon balloons, as he calls them, led the way so that he could chase after them. And then in the dream, he sees the, you know, Victor and Belch um, dead and um, he wakes up screaming. And then in his hotel room, he hears Pennywise talking to him basically from the bathroom and um, a balloon pops, uh, shows up with an arrow pointing toward the door, glowing with light. And then uh, we learn that or, or at the end it says, it explains everything to Tom and tells him all about the Losers Club, I guess. I didn't realize that, that Tom was basically, Tom and Henry were just like these interchangeable evil pawns that Pennywise, like I, I thought they would be, used similarly but it was literally like in the in the present day with the adult losers club henry dies and then almost immediately tom is like activated and it's like all right time to bring in tom to take over what what henry couldn't finish yeah but i mean he also doesn't really do that i i was kind of i kind of was thinking he was going to like try and kill them but i mean this is really the last section where we i mean we hear about him in audra's section but this is really Tom's last bit here. And then uh, to me, if, if you said the Henry Bauer stuff was anticlimactic, I thought the Tom stuff was because I was expecting some sort of huge, huge throwdown between him and Bev. Um, but he never really has that. Um, and he's kind of killed off screen or off page. Yeah, I expect, I definitely expected that too. I expected some sort of showdown and he, yeah, even just now when you said that, I kind of had forgotten that Tom. This is Tom's like last little bit here. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I, like he literally just kidnaps Audra, and that's the yeah. Whole I mean, the him. kidnapping Audra thing is big because it seems like she is essentially killed by this, and it's the thing that makes Bill scared later. And so it's it is like a bit. It is like a important thing for what it is trying to do. So I guess you can defend it in that way, but it it seemed a little odd to me to have his character basically disappear after this section. I definitely thought he was going to be more of a, like an obstacle for them. All right. So here, and then, so we get Audra and she has her section kind of mirrors Tom's and in some ways she's also dreaming and she has this kinship with Bev and she literally thinks about being Bev down in the sewers and, um, then she then she wakes up again, kind of just like Tom did, uh, disoriented, and she starts hearing Pennywise talking in her in her hotel room, and um, she thinks, "Oh, I must just be imagining things," 
and she tries to call over to where she um where bill is staying but he doesn't pick up and she kind of has this moment of like oh he's he's um he's cheating on me and then the voice speaks again from the bathroom and the tv turns on and she sees the dancing clown on the tv and she runs out into the hallway and basically to get away like these hands kind of come out from underneath the doorway and scare her and she runs all the way out into the parking lot um trying to find her keys in her purse to uh, get in her car and her section ends with tom's hand basically clamping down on her shoulder and that's really the last time we see tom other than his dead body later <laughs> so bill goes up to eddie's room because he's gotten the call from eddie and um he finds out that eddie's arm is broken again which i think it's i think it's the same arm and it's this other like another moment of this like um similarity between the past and future or past and present and uh yes henry bowers is dead they talk about how the town will make sure they die if they try and go to the hospital and basically that they can't and they're all kind of talking again remembering and also intuiting that like the town can't help them now as it didn't in the past and they say they got to go down to the sewers and do this thing but um bev decides to call the library to try and um, check for Mike. And uh, that's when she speaks to the cop and learns that Mike is in the hospital. And then Richie ends up calling the hospital, faking like he's a reporter to get information. They learn that Mike is in serious condition now after having been attacked by Henry. And that's when they finally say, all right, we got to go down to the sewers. Yeah, I kind of expected when they found out that he was in the hospital that they were going to go to the hospital. But they were like, "This is we have to get this done now. Because I, I was always just under the impression that, like, they needed all of them or as many as, of them as they could get together because the numbers, for some reason, affected uh, Pennywise in a much larger way. Yeah, so they um, they all hop in Richie's limo, drive down to the Barrens, and they hear Pennywise on the radio, uh, basically taunting them. And then we, you know, they hear Georgie's voice, and he's accusing Bill for letting it kill him. And that seems to be something that continues to get to Bill, is that when he hears his little brother's voice kind of being accusatory, he always has this, like, haunted look on his face. Yeah, so they park in the Barrens, getting, get out, and head down into, um, down to the Kanduskeeg. And once again, they follow Ben, and they get to the pumping station. And uh, that's when Bill finds the purse, that he recognizes is Audra's purse and he even like upturns it and finds her ID in there. And that's him, his like, Oh shit moment. Cause he's thought he thought she was all the way back in England and safe. And now he knows that she's here and that it has her. And he falters. He is basically like out of commission for a second. They, the rest of the club has to come together and like, be like, come on, we got to push through it. It's, it's, it'll be, we can, it'll either find her or whatever's like going on here. We'll figure it out. He's it's probably just it playing a trick on you. Yeah. But I mean, so this is, this is kind of, you know, if you want to defend what happens with Tom, it's that Tom is, is essential in making this happen. And this is the thing that unsettles and throws Bill off the most and gives it kind of the best chance to win. So he is pretty influential in that way, I guess. So next up, we get its first chapter. And first off, just like, did it surprise, like how much did it surprise you? What'd you think of the fact that we were basically getting its perspective? I was so surprised. I was shocked. I, I loved it because we were getting this perspective from this like 
like ancient entity being thing and he was like thinking of the turtle and he's like thinking about how that old bastard died a long time <laughs> ago and how like it was it was really cool i liked it and the way that he thought about the losers club and the way that he felt fear for fear and pain for the first time when they were kids so it's he said it's it says that before the universe there was only two things itself and the turtle who vomited the universe out whole and um that becomes a recurring thing where basically the turtle like has a st- had a stomach ache and vomited and that's like the universe <laughs> um and then uh yeah so it says that it came here because earth has this like quality of imagination that can really feed it and so it comes here and it eats and there's a lot of talk about the dead lights and they're very hard to pin down exactly what they are um but it says that the deadlights are its eyes and that it, um, something new happened when it felt, felt fear. Uh, it calls the turtle an old stupid thing. And then it says, yeah, it says these children did something hurting it, basically at the house on Nebalt Street when they had that, when it got hit with the silver. And that, that that's when it felt fear for the first time in its long life. And uh, this is where we first hear about the macroverse. And we learned that the, there is a law that all things must abide by the rules of the form they take. Apparently, there's a rule in the macroverse. So because of that, he knows that when he takes the form of this like werewolf, he had that kind of, um, because he had to obey those rules, he had a vulnerability. And so then he feels anger for the first time, or it feels anger for the first time, and it wants to kill these children. And it's wondering how it's even possible that they could have they could have hurt it. And then we get this thought where it says it wonders if there was another in addition to the turtle in itself and then it says when they when they get here it would it would cast them shrieking and insane to the deadlights so what what do you make of any of i mean it's very opaque but like can you try and like parse any of that at least for yourself like what you thought it was talking about i mean it was talking about another entity and like i have to wonder if this was like king's way of like bringing religion into it bringing like the omnipotent like being like bringing in like a god but it's very i mean if it is there it's very distant right right it's not it's not like pointing to anything it's just saying that there was something that was potentially older and that created the turtle Mm. so yeah i mean i think maybe that's what that is because i was expecting it to pop back up again for them to be like there's another one but I, and maybe it does, maybe kind of. Well, they, really yeah, we get another it section coming up here. But next up, we get the group coming to a chamber with some pipes. Um, and I think this is in 1958. This is another thing where like the times get so weird sometimes. Um, and because uh, they're down, they're all down in the sewers now, so it starts to get disorienting. In in both timelines. Right. Yeah. Now they're now. Yeah, so there's a lot of overlap, right? And so um, they choose the pipe that's full of uh, shit and sewage, and they they sense that they're headed towards it. And uh, then um, Bill kind of falls out of a pipe abruptly, hits his head on the roof, and then they light up a match, and uh, they see Patrick Hockstetter's dead body. Um, and you know this is basically when we heard about it feeding on him. This is where he, where uh, where he ultimately died. And they begin to hear screams from Henry and some of the other bullies that uh, may be chasing after them still. What do you think about seeing old Patrick again? 
I thought it was cool. I definitely didn't think we were going to see him again. Uh, to see his body was probably, especially for Bev, was probably pretty, pretty interesting. Situ- like pretty crazy situation to to see this kid that they all knew as a bully to just be like completely like. I mean, he looks disgusting. And like, yeah, he'd been eaten and was rotting. And I think rats had eaten his face and like all this stuff. So yeah, now we're back in 18, 1985, and it's another it section. It says they have come again, five instead of seven, but five is another powerful number. And it we hear we hear that it has destroyed Audra's mind because she saw it for what it truly was, with all its glamours cast aside. He's, it says that now her mind is with the deadlights. Yeah, so so this is the first where we hear about Audra and Tom. And he it, it thinks about how it had Tom bring her. But then when Tom got there, essentially he dropped dead just from seeing it, seeing the true face of it. It crisscrosses them in silk and feeds on fear. It's kind of waiting down on its lair for the Losers Club to come to it. It thinks about the previous battle that it escaped, and, and in the intervening time, it has made a plan. And it knows that as it gets older, as all the people get older, that their dreams grow smaller with time. And so it was always its plan to call them back. And he or it hoped that their power would be greatly diminished as adults, but it is upset because it still senses a great power in them. But it's still convinced that it's going to kill them, essentially, and it's going to feed on them all. Yeah, I I think it's that these characters, with the guidance of Mike, realized that like they needed to... There's certain things from their childhood that held like special meaning and that they needed to kind of be kids still, and that's the power. Their power is kind of drawn from that idea. It's, it's all very in- tough to pin down because... They were powerful as kids because there were seven of them and they should be at a disadvantage as adults because there's only five of them, but yet they're still able to tap into this power, but they're, they're definitely at a disadvantage and it knows it because last time it was, it was not prepared for what was coming. It was kind of caught off guard. And then now as adults, Pennywise is, has brought them back and he, he is expecting them. He knows what's coming. I do feel like all the drama shifts to the present day because while we're still interested to know what happens with the with the children we know that we already know the outcome of that confrontation yeah maybe that's why king threw in that that crazy scene for the kids <laughs> maybe <laughs> needed something needed something that uh people weren't surprising as a kid yeah yeah um back in 1985 the adults come out of the same pipe and Bill sees their and they all see the remains of Patrick Hotzkstetter in 1985. And Bill finds Audra's wedding ring, and he again like kind of starts to freak out. And we jump back to 1958, and they all start to smell something that kind of activates personalized fears again. Um, each it smells different for each of them, but it's all like the smell of it, and they kind of keep going deeper and deeper and they start to think about how they're going deep below town and they can still hear henry calling after them and then all of a sudden in the dark the eye basically shows up from richie's you know fear when he was sitting at the statue this eye from a from like an old movie and it's got tentacles and it's sliding towards them in the dark and it tries to take bill 
And this is the uh, Eddie kind of decides that his aspirator is going to shoot acid and believes it and then shoots his aspirator at the eye, basically spraying it with acid. And it really hurts it. And they all kind of punch it and kick it. And really, it's not until Richie comes up and, and punches it, too, because he's the one who it, it was like his personalized fear. And when he stands up to it, it really defeats it. And basically, it, it kind of crawls off. I think this is Eddie taking on the role of like, he's like their paladin at this point. He's like, <laughs> he's like stepping up in so many ways. And uh, I mean, it's awesome. He's, he, he just, just like takes it upon himself to decide that his, his aspirator can spray acid. So now he's like basically got, they all have superpowers now is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> if they really, if they really leaned into it, they could make anything happen is what this shows. As far as I guess towards it in, in, confrontation with it they could they could make virtually anything happen yeah as long as they believe it right so next up they come into a huge chamber lit by a mysterious light and the bird mike's bird comes flying out of the shadows um, biting at eddie and mike cuts it with a buck knife and then uh, it the bird like slashes him knocks away the blade then stan begins to use his bird book knowledge to drive away the bird by saying he doesn't believe that it even exists, that he kind of lists all these other birds that do exist and says, you don't exist, and eventually drives the bird off. So that's Stan's moment to shine, and he really um, he defeats this bird. And then they continue on, and here they find the child-sized door with child bones laying in front of it, and they each see a different symbol, each you know catered to them, and uh, they go through this child-sized door, uh, into the layer of it. So the child size door is like a portal kind of also, right? It's like, yeah, maybe I mean, it's unclear. It's like kind of, and like, what did you make of the symbols? Like, what did you th like? Was it just one of those things where it's like kind of showing like its powers still? Well, later, later the symbols are gone. So yeah, it's, it's maybe, the hideout, yeah, it could be kind of like this extra-dimensional space, almost. And this is the entryway to it. And, the, yeah, the symbols are some sort of mark of its, like, this is where its power is, like, at its most. Because it seems like this is where it's, like, the, it's most condensed. It's its home. We already heard it say that it, it doesn't use glamours when it's in its home. So this is, like, kind of a different space. And this door is, like, a signifier of, like, Something is different beyond this door. So in 1985, they're in the tunnels, and they kind of go. Pa they're all they're, they're passing through these these places where, where um, these things happened, and they they recognize that they're in the same area where the eye attacked them back in in, in the previous timeline, and uh, this is when Bev realizes that she told Tom where she went, and this is like the first thought she has that maybe Tom could be here, and maybe have something to do with Audra. And so then they remember about the door, and they get to it, and they can remember going through the door as children, but they can't remember what happened on the other side of it. And then they hear the noise of something coming towards them in the dark. And then we jump to Mike in the hospital. And, well, it's kind of, it's like Mike, but it's also really just like this macro look at the town. And, like, we hear about the clock tower how it doesn't chime at 5 a.m. at all, and 
a bunch of old timers kind of wake up feeling disquieted and like something's like ominous and threatening. And this is a, we're going to get several sections coming up where it talks about stuff kind of going crazy in the town. This is the first of that. And then it jumps back to the scene before where they had heard something coming in the dark and it's George coming out of the dark and it's accusing Bill and Bill feels like he's losing his mind and he can, the horror of this really hits him and his guilt. And then they all f- chant the phrase. He thrusts his fist against, against the post. And still sees the ghost. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. <laughs> and um, they uh, they basically drive Georgie away um, with, with, with that phrase. And Bill is kind of reduced to be like blubbering and saying he's, he's sorry over and over again. I didn't expect to see Georgie pop up again. So that was fun to get that kind of, because I feel like that's been even more so than like Audra or anything else that can affect Ben or not Ben, but Bill is, is Georgie. And it's that like unresolved thing throughout that. Like this is the whole motivation behind why Bill wants to even kill it. And, and I mean, I said before, like early on that this is the part that like stuck with me the most. So I kind of going in thought there would be more stuff relating to Georgie and then there wasn't as much. So then, and so I kind of wasn't expecting to see him again. So seeing him again was like, it makes sense that he's reduced to a blubbering mess and the whole, the whole crew has to come together to re-motivate him and kind of get him back on track and push him forward. Yeah. Um, so then we get another dairy, I'm going to call him dairy macro <laughs> chat, like sections. And it's this big rain starts coming down. That wasn't supposed to happen today, according to all the forecasts. And we hear about a man getting electrocuted and then sewer pipes start to reverse and explode and literally, like, one woman gets her head cut off by a gear wheel from the old ironworks. Comes flying out of the ground. And then we hear that another woman is sitting on a toilet when it explodes and kills her. Um, and uh, Mike Hanlon awakes up in the hospital. And um, he remembers what happened with Henry. And he starts thinking about the others when this guy comes in with a syringe. Oh, and we... I think it was one of the It sections. I didn't mention it, but... We learned we had learned that it had this plan to send someone to kill Mike with this syringe. So this is something that we know it has kind of orchestrated. And uh, yeah, so it, back in the sewers, they all these are the adults. They all feel like Mike is in danger. And Bill says like grab grab hands, and they all kind of grab hands, and then they quote unquote send their send Mike their power. And then back in the hospital, Mike feels this power surge. And he grabs a glass and he smashes it into the man's face, basically saving himself from getting injected with this, uh, whatever it was that was going to kill him. So the Losers Club, like, they all join hands in a circle. And Bill is, like, saying, like, send him our power, send him our power. And I was like, this isn't going to work. And then they all feel, <laughs> they all feel something, like, leave their body, like some sort of, like, power that they send off to him. Um, and then my first thought was, so... Mike smashed like a doctor or like a guy. I don't think it was a doctor. It was just a random guy, right? Yeah, no, it was like a, I think he was a nurse. Okay. So it was a nurse. So Mike smashed a nurse in the face with a, with a glass beat, like pitcher or something. Who are yeah. they going to side with the patient who smashed a nurse in the face with a glass pitcher? Like he, yeah. he's going to be in trouble for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe when they, cause like I assume the syringe is full of something that it, maybe that person shouldn't have had 
and so like if the if the if the thing that he was worried about is literally laying on the ground like he was gonna stab me with that thing that's true and he's like in the i don't know but yeah that's a good point but we also know that like the police are all fucked up in dairy anyway yeah. so every well technically everyone is so probably they right, would probably yeah. just not even care they would be like whatever he smashed him in the face so they all back in the in the sewers they realized that mike's okay that whatever they did they think it worked and so they come across the door again now as adults and they all see different symbols and they see this green light glowing from underneath it and they decide to go in and they have to crawl to go inside and then this is the big reveal of they remember it simultaneously as they see it its true form a nightmare spider from beyond space and time it's described as being 15 feet tall have these super thick legs, ruby eyes, jagged mandibles that's foaming. It's got body covered in coarse hair, has a big stinger equipped with poison, and it's got a big, full, pregnant belly, and we learned that it is a female. So, yeah, what did you think of seeing its true form? Did you, did you ever think we were going to see its true form? See, I thought we already kind of did see its true form. I thought that the, like, amorphous, like, blob or wax the melting like face melting yeah. face i thought that was it i thought it was just kind of like it didn't have a shape it was just this entity that was like could take whatever shape it needed to i didn't think that there was actually going to be like a spider which is i mean it's not so disappointing what did you it's think not, of the spider I, it's not disappointing like I, I thought that if it had a form i'd be disappointed by it and i wasn't so that's a good thing i mean it's like the creepiest stingiest mandible spider ever so yeah huge I, gross spider yeah so i mean yeah i thought it was cool i i just didn't expect it to be a spider all along or for it to be a female yeah i think for me like i have to kind of remember the first time i read this book um because this time obviously i knew that i remembered that it was a spider i think i did i did feel a little bit of like a like i don't know like a relief almost when it's like oh it's a spider i know what those look like like i i've seen those in you know video games and whatever a number of things you know i know what they're you know fire does particularly good damage to spiders you know not necessarily true for this one but still like it makes it you put a face to it and all of a sudden it's like a little bit less frightening so and it, I, we do get i think there is a part that kind of talks about that later too um i, I think it's good and i think this is a problem a lot of horror writers run into i know i've heard writers talk about it in that no matter how scary the monster is that you eventually show, it's never as scary as the monster you can't see. Like, the thing you can't quite get a good look at. Like, that's always more frightening. Well, yeah. And that's I, true for it as well. I completely agree. And, like, relating that to film, I always, always, always would rather them not reveal the creature. Like, I know that a lot of people... It puts a lot of asses in seats to reveal creepy creatures and stuff to try to freak you people out. You mean in out. the trailer? no 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 in general in the movie like i would i like if you watch like alien the original alien you don't see very much of the alien you're never going to get a clean look at it until maybe the very end yeah i say eventually i feel like you have to because a lot of people will probably be pissed right if, but you but never if you, get a single good look at the monster i guess what i'm but saying yeah, is like if you run into a situation where you show you show the monster like 20 minutes into the movie and you show its full form people aren't going to be that scared anymore because it's not the unknown we can whatever we imagine is going to be so much scarier than whatever you can put on screen or in a book in my opinion i guess i guess with a book 
it's a little bit better because you're still using your imagination to put the pieces together. But if it's something yeah. that's just the unknown, it's just it's just more frightening. Yeah. It, so, do you think we're gonna see a giant spider version of of Pennywise in the in the movie? Yeah, I actually meant to ask you that. I think I think we should because I think that it's yeah. a, a part of this story, and I think I kind of hope we do too. I, I mean, I am a little bit. Like, part of me thinks they're going to stick with the clown the whole time, and it's just going to be always be the clown. See, but that's, like, the that's the stereotypical thing of, like, I don't I don't know. If people haven't read the novel, I don't know that they really realize that it's, like, there's other things at play other than just a creepy clown. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of hope that they go, that, that we see different forms, and then we see eventually see this big crazy spider. I'd be fine if, like, the spider had, like, a clownish-looking head on it or something so that it still had that kind of consistency, but... I do want to see like different forms. I'm going to, pre- uh, yeah, I agree. I think that it would be, I, I think they need to lean into the weird stuff. And I have heard that Stephen King enjoyed it and enjoyed the film. So hopefully yeah, it's been getting great reviews. Ho- I we mean, can talk he, about that more at the end. <laughs> he might just be saying it to try to promote the movie, but I think that, and this is just another one of my opinions is that if there's source material, you should try to stick as closely to that as you can, because most of the time, you're not really going to make it that much better. And even if you, and if you, even if you do, there's going to be those like loyal fans who are like, they should have kept it like the book. So that's, I feel like that's a whole nother debate we could have. Cause I think there are, there are like, I've come around to there being sides to there being points to both sides. And it's interesting to me to hear you, the film guy <laughs> kind of bit taking the side of the author. Cause that's what authors like to feel like. They're like, if you're going to doubt my book, just keep it just like I wrote it. Well, it just works. But, I, I mean, I get putting your... We'll talk about this more on the movie episode, but look, for to put a yeah. pin in it, my opinion of it is... Just okay. A, is I feel just, like we're going to have many opportunities to discuss this very thing in, in on this podcast in general. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just am of the opinion that there's a reason why people were a fan of this source material. So mm. do your best to adapt it, put your own spin on it, but stay true to what people want to see. All right, so uh, the oh, I did want to say the other thing. I do remember the the spider thing not that weird. It being pregnant that was disturbing, because you immediately get these implications of like, wait a minute, it has babies. Are the babies just like it? And it's got like all of these eggs. So it's like, are we about to have the birth of like a hundred new Pennywises into the world? That's a pretty terrifying thought. So. I think that disturbs me more than anything else in that, in that part. I just, yeah, I didn't expect, like, I was surprised that it was female. And then when they said that it was pregnant, there's like so many other questions that popped up in my head. Like what is impregnating it? Is it just asexual? Is it, you know, is it just kind of creating these spawn? Oh, so Ben, um, in this moment, he sees beyond it. He says for a moment and he sees something made of orange light. And then he thinks of it as the deadlight. And this is another another mention of the deadlight. And at some point, I would like to put forth a theory that may be very weak and maybe easily torn apart. But I have some like theories about the deadlight myself. But I, I am really curious to hear what you think about it first. Well, do you want to? There's not many more mentions of it. Do you want to just get in, into it now? Okay. Yeah. So I I have this like kind of in my second read through. I kept thinking about the deadlights as being like the souls that it has claimed throughout all of its murders. And maybe not just the souls it has claimed, 
Well, I don't know. I mean, it's so ancient, right? Like it could have, it's been amassing these throughout like all of time. And so to me, if you, if, if it kills you, your soul doesn't go wherever it normally would. Instead, it kind of captures you and makes you part of who it is. And then that's how it's able to summon your essence to like frighten people with like that's how he can show georgie to bill and that's how he can pull up vic and and butch and like it's like all the or belch all these like if he kills you like now he kind of owns your soul and and, and it i keep calling it he but i should it's because pennywise is kind of a he he it she all the same thing um but yeah it, it like can send can send these things out as like little apparitions and I think that's also linked to like the balloons thing, like essentially why it's always holding balloons and it talks about floating is the balloons are like representative of these souls that it's collected. Like they, each balloon is its own like soul. And he, so, you know, when he's saying you'll come down here and float too, like he's, he's, he's telling Georgie in that first scene, come down and join the deadlights, essentially become part of me and become part of my amassed souls that make me up i like it i think that's cool i i didn't even think anything like that i just from what i like understood i thought that it was like kind of just like its consciousness right like it's like it's like well it definitely makes it up beyond its form yeah beyond its form of the spider is it's like ancient like i'm saying yeah like like consciousness like it's like it's back behind that and Mm -hmm. i could totally see that being something where it was like some because it is feeding it the reason that it's there like it's not on it's not killing these people like unmotivated it kind of like has a need to feed yeah so maybe it has something to do with like amassing these souls is like its way of you know yeah it was created dairy to be its own like hunting range too right like it says like its own game preserve essentially yeah i'm down with the theory i like it cool yeah i mean i don't know it as I was talking it through, I'm like, this makes sense to me. I like this theory. I hope that I don't know if it's true because, like, I don't know that we ever get confirmation, but I feel like the deadlights are directly linked to the balloons, and then also the backup is the like spirits that it's able to essentially summon. Well, I definitely see the. I, for some reason, when you said it to me, I feel like I see the spirits more than the balloons. Like, what is it with the? Why is it so closely tied to the balloons for you? The floating. So it's when it's when he like invites Georgie to come float, and he says that. Uh, you know, I've got all these kids and he names the kids he's got down here and we all float. And so when he's saying they all float, he's comparing them to balloons. And so if he collects souls and he talks about the souls as floating like balloons, then you could make the leap that the balloons are therefore the souls that he collects. And I'm not saying like every time we see a balloon, it is a soul or something, but maybe with the way he like, that's why he's always holding them. And that's his thing with these, with these balloons. I don't know yeah it's cool. like i said I like half formed theory but <laughs> i like it yeah i will say that like the like the word float before this book and just meant like it just didn't seem very meaningful to me like it was just one of those words it's just like people don't say it that that often like you'll say it about like very specific things like balloons um mm-hmm. and then now it just has its whole new context like every time i hear the word float now whether it's like in the water or whatever <laughs> it is i'm just gonna think of like floating with with pennywise floating with it yeah man that's good man that's every writer's dream (laughs) to be able to affect the zeitgeist like that 
All right, so let's get back to it. Um, 1958, they also see the spider. And so both of these showdowns are kind of happening simultaneously. And the children see half-eaten bodies hanging up in the web around, around this room. And Bill steps forward. Um, ben sees, sees the deadlights again. And um, we see that also the, the deadlights also are like kind of in its eyes, giving it this orange glow of like corpse lights. Which I've seen in the trailer, they definitely give his he have like orange glowing eyes, which I think is pretty cool. Um, and then Bill initiates the ritual of should, and you were right, it is like a psychic biting onto the tongue thing, not like a physical thing. And they essentially latch onto each other, and Bill gets thrown into the dark, and he can see the cosmos, and it's this whole like I was thinking of like the scene from. Um, Doctor Strange recently where he's like flying through and he's having all these visions right it was like I was thinking of that like he's he's outside of time and space and he's in the cosmos and um, it he he has to like say the chant to kind of like get control of himself and fight against it and then um, he's flying past and he sees the great turtle and he notices that it, 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 it he feels that it's older than it he sees that it has kind eyes. And the turtle speaks to him and it says, you know, I had a bellyache. So he made the, it made the universe because of that, essentially. And um, he flies past the turtle, but the turtle's so big that he, it's just like it takes him forever to get past its body. And um, the turtle tells him of another that he says is perhaps the creator of the turtle. It, but but this, this other only watches, doesn't interact. Then as Bill reaches the turtle's back legs, as he's hurtling through space and time, the turtle t basically tells him he needs to help himself and that he, like, the turtle can't help him. He has to help himself. And that basically says, you know, chant. <laughs> and then it even says, and what I thought was a really funny line, it says, once you get into cosmological shit like this, you have to throw away the manual. Direct quote from the turtle. <laughs> I was going to mention that if you didn't, that's such a, I loved it. Cause it was like, I, I love the turtle. Like just because of that and the stuff that he says, he talks about how, um, he like apologizes for, for making the universe. Like he's like, I'm yeah, sorry. Sorry. He's like, I had a bellyache. He's like, don't blame me. He's like, it's not my fault. I'm sorry. I just had a bellyache and I threw up the universe. And then, yeah. yeah, at the end when he's like, he's like, come on, man. He's like, once you get into this shit, he's like, yeah. there's, there's no manual for it. Just figure it out. It starts taunting Bill again, telling Bill that he's going to live inside of it, inside the deadlights. Bill has this thought that when it is out in this other plane, it is unkillable. But when it's on Earth and it's physical, it's bound to the form. And then he kind of realizes that, that so it can be killed when it's in its physical form. And so he begins to chant, and he chants in his father's voice, our, uh, our uh, favorite chant. And... Um, he imagines himself biting into the tongue and um, he starts believing. He has to believe in like all this stuff. And um, basically everything he's doing is like really hurting it and eventually kind of flies back into reality. And um, the turtle tells him as he's going, like, make sure you finish it off. And then he slams back into his body and the web begins to fall apart and um it basically like shuffles away like in like massive pain and is super wounded and they may be going to die. They're not sure. And Bill says, we got to make sure we got to make sure. 
but you know they can't essentially and they end up having to run away because everything's kind of collapsing and they know it might not be dead but they feel like they just have to hope that it's gonna it's gonna like at least be defeated for many like a thousand years or something so something that i was gonna say is the tongue the like biting each other's tongue thing isn't literal because it's psych like it's like a psychic link but then at the same time within the psychic link they do end up biting each other's tongues like he's like 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 bill has his teeth around uh its tongue so it's like kind of yeah it's happening it's unclear if it's like really happening or not i was surprised that it ended up kind of even happening though because i thought it was like going to be like completely um like kind of metaphorical well we didn't really get i will say we didn't really get like riddles and jokes though so that 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 part of it didn't really come true right yeah i I, yeah it did although we we got something kind of like we got a lot of chanting and like talking and stuff but not not specifically riddles and jokes i mean uh richie in a little while does joke does start like making fun of it kind of yeah that's true yeah, so that that's you know similarly back in 1985. Now the the bill initiates the the ritual again, and this time when he gets to, um, the other side, um, it tells him that the turtle has died. And um, it seems to be true. It seems to be that the turtle has died in the intervening time. Basically, it throws him, and he um, tries to grab its tongue, but misses his grip. And, you know, it's like this oh shit moment of what now? What did you think about the turtle being dead? I don't think I ever really bought the fact that the turtle was dead. Because yeah. it's like... You think it, maybe it was lying? Yeah, I think it was lying. I think it was like... Yeah, I don't know that I ever really bought it. I, cause, and we don't ever really get confirmation that it wasn't we dead. We don't. Right? At one point, there, he's flying... Like, Richie's flying and he sees... He says he sees the turtle briefly. But doesn't say he sees the turtle's body or that the turtle's dead he just says he sees the turtle when, when, so when, maybe he sees it alive i don't know when bill sees it he sees it in he sees it like it's in its shell he can't see it but it's like he sees this shell right there's a part i think when he's flying back in a little bit oh maybe man this this whole part is so disorienting yeah. <laughs> like it's hard like i was you know i remember the first time i read this i was way more disoriented like the second time i was like trying to parse it so i could talk about it on a podcast and still I find that I struggle to understand what happened in this kind of other place. I think, I think there's like something to be said for the turtle being dead. Maybe it's like their childhood had ended at that point, and it's like once you're not a kid anymore, you can't really invoke Chud anymore. Like it's kind of like something that you do when you're a kid, and then it's he's kind of like lost to you. That's why the adults are so affected by it, or something. I don't know. Maybe there's something to be said for that, but yeah. Whereas I feel like you you've convinced me that that it was lying and that the turtle is actually alive. So I, you know, I don't know. It doesn't say it doesn't say that it killed the turtle. It just says that the turtle died. Yeah. And like I don't know. That's really weird. That's really odd. I don't know. Anyway, so um, basically, Richie catches on that something's going really wrong with Bill and that he's losing. And, you know, oh, Beverly starts screaming that something's wrong, too. She she, she notices that, too. Um, it, it said that Bill's face is, like, stretching and blood starts spurting from his nose. And then it brings up its stinger like it's going to, like, kill him. Richie charges and starts using his Irish cop voice, which is his, like, go-to thing that, that, that hurts it. And sure enough, the voice seems to, like, really affect it. And then 
he mentally grabs on to the tongue and basically initiates a separate ritual. And Richie kind of comes to the rescue here. And he gets whacked out of his body into the darkness, just like uh, just like Bill was. And he feels like a human yo-yo, he says. And he starts laughing because he thinks the whole thing is, like, absurdly funny. There's a lot of, like, Richie laughing at absurd things. And um, the laughter and the voice he's using kind of gives him a strength and seems to hurt it a lot. And then, yeah, we get it saying that Bill's in the deadlights now. Uh, Richie sees a barrier and he blasts into the barrier and or he's like hitting the barrier and then he grabs Bill's hand it's very confusing (laughs) and um, feel free to jump in if you remember it better than me (laughs) it's it's all like it's super hard to to describe like you're saying Um, so I thought it was I thought it was seeing Richie like run forward in, in like kind of attacking this this spider um when his friend is being attacked when bill is like about to be stung kind of reminded me of the scene um it's a book and a and a film but in in lord of the rings when uh i guess it'd be what return of the king when when frodo is like is like wrapped up by the by like Shil- yeah, or Shilab. Sh- yeah, sh- yeah and uh samwise comes up with the with the glowing like elven light thing and <laughs> yeah. uh, it kind of reminded me like i just Im- imagined that happening like richie like ran yeah. up to save him from a spider that was about to like, get sting him and then like jumped into the into the fight and like mentally tongue bit him yeah i mean richie richie really stepping up here and um yeah so grab he, he grabs bill's hand and pulls him basically through the darkness and it says that they see the turtle but it doesn't say whether or not the turtle's dead so again another moment of maybe maybe not and um then they 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 begin to lose their grip and they're both gonna you know basically lose now this is when we come back to eddie and eddie sees that the spider is you know badly hurt and he thinks like someone needs to do something now here and he runs forward with his aspirator shouting he leaps up and he like starts triggering his aspirator on the onto onto it and he sprays it in the eye which it affects it like acid like melting its eye and then he basically like goes to like spray it again and it opens its mouth and he like thrusts his hand into its mouth and he triggers it like deep in its gullet and then the jaws just close down on his arm and rip it off and eddie like collapses like bleeding out essentially and then um yeah i can skip this real quick bev comes up she's crying trying to staunch the blood and then um you know richie comes over because he's you know kind of ended it now and he says you know don't call me eds and then he dies well you know what what did you think of what did you think of eddie dying i it wasn't one that i really thought would die i didn't really think that eddie was gonna so be it surprised guy. you i don't yeah, think you me. i don't i don't remember if you listed him on that death on your death prediction i don't I think, think you did i think i did and i said that i could see him dying but i oh, didn't did you? think he would I think I said. I think I said. Shows what I remember. <laughs> I think I said that Ben was gonna. I thought. I thought that Ben might die. Um, yeah. But I'd be upset if he was. And then uh, Eddie could die. And then I thought, when Mike got stabbed in the leg, I was like, "Damn, I was wrong about Mike." But spoilers. Uh, Mike kind of makes it. He pulls through. Yeah, he makes it. He's. <laughs> so yeah, like yeah. I didn't expect Eddie to die. Um, there's like some unresolved stuff that kind of went on in his in his personal life. 
but i mean that's gonna happen because that's like just kind of true to life like pe- when people die it's not like they got to do necessarily everything yeah. they wanted to do so. exactly it cuts off yeah yeah i think it's yeah i remember it was just, it was sad too and, and i really like the you know the way like he has an unfinished thought is when he dies like he, he dies in the middle of a sentence essentially and I liked that because, like you said, it's it's just like how he had this unfinished business, and it felt like he had more to do, and it just gets cut off, uh, which I think is very true to life. So next, we get another macro view of Derry, and we see the storm has like really kicked up and is now knocking over trees, and the clock tower chimes thirteen times, and then gets struck by lightning, and we hear about a janitor who sees all the taps open up. And spill out beer and then the beer turns into blood and then the kegs start expo- exploding and um then uh oh this was interesting an old man like sits up and he starts speaking with richie's irish cop voice and then he has a heart attack and dies and it's another moment of like something like that's going i guess it's because it's going on in the macroverse it like is able to affect the real world in this way i don't know what did you make of that i think eddie i think this is confirmation that richie is the turtle (laughs) like richie's voices have have uh affected it and the turtle so much that richie has become a god and he can make people speak in tongues in in his specific accents and and then give them heart attacks (laughs) all right uh you might be alone on that theory but (laughs) But sounds interesting (laughs) no but honestly it, it is it's pretty crazy i think it definitely has something to do with the fact that richie was in the the multi or the uh, macroverse and he yeah. was kind of like he because did he use that accent in the macroverse do you remember yeah he yeah. did that was how he was like combating it like the whole time he's shouting in his in his in his um his cop voice and i think literally something he said is what comes out of this old man's mouth right before he so yeah i think it's that. just like showing that like the macroverse is so powerful and it like has so much of an effect over our world yeah and especially specifically dairy right yeah yeah so um then uh like the mall starts to explode and a bank explodes and then a doctor uh gets his head cut off by a manhole that <laughs> comes flying out and it's like this like black humor moment really that's why i'm like giggling <laughs> um he gets his head cut off and then like his body keeps walking for like three steps before it falls over i think king had these like he just had these little snapshots of like weird deaths that he wanted to happen and he's like let's just yeah. have this like po- like apocalyptic thing happening <laughs> um yeah, so then we jump back to 1958, and it is now after this confrontation, and they're they're trying to figure out how they're going to get out. And think about how you know it's wounded, and they maybe killed it. Um, and he, this is what I was talking about earlier. So he has this line where he says, like, he feels like now that he's seen it, he can handle it. Like he feels like any form can be dealt with, except for maybe the deadlights. He does say, but he also thinks about how like. I don't know like it's 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 interesting because it goes back to what we were talking about how like before something has a form it's like scarier and, and like you can't you can't deal with it so we get the start of this the the controversy controversial scene here um let's wait until we get into the meat of it but basically bev starts undressing for some reason and the all the boys are like what the hell's going on and um she says she knows something that can bring them together all right about back in 1985 we got Eddie, who's laying there dying, um, or dead, rather. And then they decide they're not going to let it escape this time. The wed drifts down, and Bill sees Audra, and he's kind of screaming, but Richie is able to snap him out of it, and they go chasing after it. Ben 
comes to, and on their way, they find the trail of eggs. And because um, it's like spilling its eggs now that it's been defeated. And Ben decides he's going to like wait and like take care of these eggs while the other two go on. And so it um, starts breaking the eggs and like these little spiders the size of rats come out and he can hear them talking or not talking, but like mewling in its in his mind. So they're like these little psychic rats, uh, spider rats. And so to me, this says like these are like they're going to grow into full blown like Pennywise's essentially when they when they grow up. So, yeah, I don't know. Is that, is that what you got from it? Yeah, no, I definitely think that that if those little rat spiders were allowed to live they would definitely become full-grown pennywises i which is really scary to think because then it basically just take over the world and yeah because they'd probably all want their own like their own towns right so they just spread out all over the world yeah oh so there's this there's this thing called uh the it lives ending which is like a cliched like horror movie ending did you think we were going to get that here and we were going to have um a moment at the end where there was going to be one egg like tucked away in a corner that they all missed. So, I mean, it was this, this feels like it was kind of setting up that kind of ending for me. It was written. I don't know what like the tropes were like, what, like, you know, it was a different time in like 1986. Yeah. So like if it had happened, yeah, mid eighties, if, if it had happened, I may have give, been lenient with it and been like, Oh, I mean, I guess it's, you know, it may have been ahead of the curve kind of thing, but I'm really glad that he didn't do that because yeah, just, I'm glad he didn't do it too. It would have felt cheap to me. Yeah. But it, it like it I feel like the, it like if you decided he wanted to do it too or something, like he could, because he all he has to say is that Ben didn't find one of them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't need to hear about it. Or that instead of Richie being the turtle, he's really pennywise. <laughs> well that explains the uh, racist voices, right? Yeah. Um <laughs> All right. Um so uh it we get like a final kind of it section here where it's it consents the adults coming after it killing its unborn it's like freaking out and it says it basically has nothing else it can do but turn and fight so it turns and you know to fight and then um we get we go we kind of go back over to beverly in 1985 she sees audra fall um the room goes dark and she begins to think about how she was each of their first love and then she starts doing this thing where she starts thinking about the birds and then she thinks about Eddie, who she's cradling in her arms. And then we get into the problematic scene. <laughs> I should just say controversial scene. Because it, it, if you do a quick search on the internet for people talking about this, it's all over the place. And there's you know people in forums kind of going back and forth. But yeah, I'll get into it. I'm just going to do a brief description of it. Essentially, um, Bev decides she knows about this thing that her father basically told her about and it's this really powerful act and she thinks that it can bring them all together and like kind of bind them together and i think that's the key really here is that this is her, this is her way of bringing them as close together as they could possibly be and so she basically has each one of them come one at a time and have sex with her and she she uh she thinks about how like other children think about sex as this monster called it which i thought was a really interesting comparison to this book you know like the book is about a monster called it and she thinks of like children thinking of sex as a monster called it this unnameable monster and before that i hadn't made that connection but you know i thought that was interesting and um 
Eddie comes first and then, you know, several, you know, she kind of, he kind of glosses over a few of it, but I will say like, it's not written in like a super sexualized way. It's written as more of this like ritual. And then, um, Ben is second to last and she like has like the most pleasure with him. And then Bill is the final one. And then at the end of it, they like think about how they're never going to speak of it again. And all of a sudden Eddie like knows where to go and he's like, can figure out where how to get them out. And uh, Richie makes a joke, and they all kind of, like, immediately seems like they're starting to forget about it. So, how shocked were you, and how much did you be like, what the fuck did we read this book first, Luke? I wasn't ready for this. Did you have any of these thoughts? Like, what did you think when you read this scene? So, I mean, it's it's weird, right? It's a weird scene. There's no doubt about that. Absolutely. Do I think that it needs to be in the book? No, I don't think so. But do I think that it, was I, like, offended by it personally? I wasn't. I think it was, it had, there's a little bit of like a shock factor value in it. There's like some, some, it's weird because like it, it's not like he makes like good points for it, but it's like, it's, it's like they're doing it. Like you said before, it's not like a sexual way. It's like this thing where they don't really understand what they're doing. Like, I don't think they realize in the context of what they're doing. They kind of just think it's like this act. Um, I think that, I think that it was a way to kind of show this like ending of innocence too. Like, I think that it was like Mm. them doing this like unspeakable act that even like adults wouldn't think to do. And it's showing that like, they're so naive and yet having done that, they're now, I don't know. They have experience. I don't know. It's, yeah, it's I weird... think you're actually tapping into to something that King intends. Um, I found I was able to find a quote about this from King himself. Um, I guess I'll read it now, and then we can talk about it more. Okay. But this is what um, this is what King said about it uh, when asked. I wasn't really thinking of the sexual aspect of it. The book dealt with childhood and adulthood, 1958, and grown-ups. The grown-ups don't remember their childhood. None of us remember what we did as children. We think we do but we don't remember it as it really happened. Intuitively, the losers knew they had to be together again. The sexual act connected childhood and adulthood. It's another version of the glass tunnel that connects the children's library to the adult library. Times have changed since I wrote that scene. There is now more sensitivity to those issues. That last sentence is really interesting to me, but yeah. um, So yeah, it seems like he really means it as this connection between their childhood and their adult selves. And they do this adult act. Um, but also they need to come together because they know they're going to have to come back. And I think that was what it, in the second time, because I think the first time I read it, I was, I was a lot like you. I was like, this feels super extraneous and like doesn't need to be in the book. And I don't know why it's here other than shock value. Um, I feel like it, it kind of played better for me the second time. Like it felt more like it fit in the book in a weird way. Um, and I think it's because I was on the lookout more, you know what I mean? And like when I read those other sections with Bev and really about like how her whole character arc has been about her not having her own like agency sexually. And this is a moment of her kind of like taking control of it and using it to like bind their group together. That doesn't mean I don't think there's not maybe some problematic things there, 
Um, like if you want to talk about gender, obviously it's, you know, she's the only girl and it's like the fact that the only girl has to do something sexual to like be a part, like to end up being like the thing that brings this group together, that there's like some weird kind of misogynistic because it's a male writer imagining it this way. Like there's some, there's some like potentially problematic things in there and I'm not going to pretend like there's not, but I don't know. Anything else you want to say? I have more thoughts, but I want to let you talk. (laughs) I just think that for me, what it was more than anything was he, they were lost in the tunnels and that's what he jumped to. Like we went from being lost in the tunnels to Bev having the presence of mind to think like, if they all have sex with me, it'll help the situation in some way. It'll bring, I know that they were freaking out and it was like a way for them to like focus on something different that wasn't them freaking out about being lost in the tunnels and like in that way they were so shocked and so like they're going through this moment in their lives that would be so formative for them i guess if they remembered it they didn't remember it necessarily but it was still probably like subconsciously like formative for them they yeah i get that that was kind of the reasoning like she was like trying to like draw them away from what was going on the the things that were going on in that situation to clear heads and that kind of thing but i just don't think that that warranted that them being lost warranted this and i don't know like you say i i i think it is just a bit extreme so one thing that i was thinking about with this too is it it's reminiscent of when you hear about like pagan rituals with like people like pagan 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 orgies and stuff i don't you know i don't know how realistic that is but you hear about that right as like a thing um and it reminds me of that too like there's in our culture throughout time there's always been this like power to sexuality and 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 especially people's like virginity and when we talk about like power and belief if all of our society believes there's power in people losing their virginity and there's like a there's something there right the fact that they all lose their virginity to each other essentially right like that does kind of bind them in a way that no other act could really do. I mean, like the cutting of the hands is one thing, but like ultimately, this is like a, this is a, like a, a a way more stark way of doing it. I don't know. Like it's like I said. Like I don't know that I've convinced myself that it's necessarily a good scene that needed to be in there. But I feel like I have come around on it more. Yeah. Where it doesn't feel as completely like tacked on and just like shock value because that's kind of how I read it the first time. I was like, man, he's just really going for full shock value here, and he wanted to do something that. He didn't think anyone was, you know what I mean? Like, it felt like he was just being like, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want. I'm going to write a crazy sex scene in this book with a bunch of kids. Yeah. But in the second read, I don't know. It it played better for me. I was going to say, like, I I don't. So do I think that it had to be in the book for the book to be a whole, you know. Well, I mean, I don't think I think it's safe to say this isn't going to be in the movie. (laughs) So I think the story can go without it. There can be ways to go without it. But is it is the book better for having it? that's what I was kind of going to get at. I don't ultimately my thoughts on it are if I needed to just boil it down to a couple of things are, do I think that it needed to be in the book? No, I don't think it needed to be in the book. Do I want it out of the book? I don't think that I necessarily want it out of the book because it's like, I want the full vision of like what King was trying to get done here. And like with all of the things that we've said that are like, there's, there's things that are potentially problematic. There's things, there's reasons why it's just weird. Kind of. I, I think that, I don't know. It's just such a touchy subject. I don't think it needs to come out. 
it doesn't uh, I, I i understand if it offends people and that's warranted it doesn't offend me yeah. personally so all in all yeah. like i think it's i think it it is in the book for a reason is what i'm trying to get at all right so a couple more things i'm going to say about it and then we can move on um and, and unless you want to react to them um <laughs> um I have heard another quote from King, although I wasn't able to find it for the direct quote, but essentially it was him saying that when someone asked him about this, he says, the ch- the kids will know why it's in there. Which is kind of weird, because it's also like him talking about like kids reading his book. But like, I, this to me plays into what we've been talking about through this whole podcast, this whole series of episodes. We've talked about the secret lives of children, right? And we've talked about, especially with like the Patrick Hockstetter moment, with him and Henry. And I think there is these like these sexual things that go on with children that people forget about because you deeply suppress them. Not saying that everybody has something, but like a lot of people do. And then you like repress them and you hide them and maybe you don't even remember them. And that's kind of King's point. And so in his book, that event for all of those characters, because they're in this special group with this special bond like this is how it this is what it is for them um and that you know this secret thing that they did that like power that it has is something that binds them together in a way that like other things can't like hold a candle to really i guess does it does that make any sense yeah no i mean i i definitely i think that you're you're right on there like i think that it's such an important thing in our society and it's it's the only thing nothing else is going to have that effect right so he took the thing that would have the greatest effect when written on the page and and kind of like you say like the like all in all an author or a storyteller is trying to be as true to life as possible and if you're trying to say that these types of things don't happen you're kidding yourself so yeah. I don't think that because he's not he's not doing it in a distasteful way. I don't he's not trying to do it in like pure shock value in my opinion. So I think that like in trying to be true to what he was his vision of this book would be in trying to stick closely to like you're saying the things that happen between kids that people tend to suppress. Like he stuck with his guns and he he, he has a scene that's controversial for a reason. But at the end of the day, I think it, it deserves to be in the book. Okay. I, I think um, I think we've said enough. I'm sure us two dudes on a podcast talking about women's issues, I think it's safe to say we haven't solved anything here. But <laughs> this is uh, this is how we, we, we feel about it. Certainly don't want to say that, um, that uh, we are some sort of authority and that we have uh, settled any sort of debate on this thing. Um, yeah, if that... We'll, we'll we'll give the, the the email and stuff later but if you end up having feedback about this if you want to engage with us with your opinion on it please send that in and um we might not be able to read the whole thing depending on how long it is but we can definitely talk about it on like the movie episode or or just in fu- in the future so we, we welcome that okay so uh yeah next up we get uh, another dairy macro chapter and we see the winds picking up the water's rising and um, we see this like high guy watches the standpipe fall down, and he th- and he thinks and he says to himself, Steve- "Steven Spielberg, eat your heart out," because he thinks it's like special effects. And he sees this like flood water crash through the barrens and into town, sweeping away houses. 
and this standpipe from before is just like rolling through town in this big kind of apocalyptic moment we get the kind of this final confrontation and we get it coming at bill and richie and it's interesting because it's it, it, it it's like begging almost for its life and it says just let let it's like asking them to just let it go and um it offers bill to have audra back says he can give her his her mind back it says that it can give them like super long lives and essentially make them gods among men um, all it has to do is touch them and they'll live for like 500 years. Um, and it kind of is trying to like barter, but they're not having any of it. And they start tearing into it with their bare hands and like punching it and kicking it. And Bill literally like charges into its body, rips it apart, gets inside and finds its heart and holds its heart between his hands and then crushes it. So pretty badass way to kill a giant spider, I would say. I kind of figured that Bill would ultimately be the one to fully kill it just because it was always, it was always kind of his, it, it seemed like it was always kind of his story to tell. He's kind of the leader and with jo- what happened to Georgie being the beginning of it a while ago. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a, I, I honestly getting into this book, I thought kind of that it was, there was definitely a supernatural element to the, the clown and that kind of thing. But I didn't realize that it was gonna be this like, I don't know. This got this got pretty epic. Like this became like like this final battle like is up there with like a lot of like finales like the the crescendo or the climax of the of the story. Like this is up there for me with with a lot of my favorite books. Like I think it was a great really yeah. I really enjoyed it. Like I thought that it just like just paid off so well. Like it was just all paid off all throughout. It was it was fun to read. It was, it was relatable. It was, I don't know. It just, and I really enjoy those coming of age stories like this. I've I heard, I've heard this book described as the Moby Dick of horror novels, which I thought was a pretty funny <laughs> comparison. Something that I will say is that I, I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's like the scariest thing I've ever read. I, mm. I think I, I enjoy it for those horror elements and I like a lot of it, but it's not necessarily a scary, scary book it's got scary moments i i like it for how well written it is and i like it for the genre like the genre of horror but i don't yeah. there weren't re- like there were a few times that stand out but there weren't like scary moments as much as disturbing moments i do think this will always affect people more strongly if you have an intense fear of clowns and like i know people who do like see a clown and are like oh fuck no i'm not even going to be around that clown right now I, I am not that person. Like, I've always been like, I don't really particularly love clowns, but they don't really frighten me. I don't know. Do you, I, I wonder if those people would even attempt to read this book, though. I think some people do. Well, because, like, some people who are horror fans will actively seek out things that scare them. And, and yeah, I, I would think there probably are people who are deeply afraid of clowns and read this book. For sure. Good for them. I wish, I wish that there was something that, that I, feared like that like i wish there was one thing so that just so that i could push myself in that way you know what i mean like an adrenaline <laughs> yeah. junkie like pushing playing it like fighting my fears like these people did like bill yeah. and richie and all them all right so we get another macro chapter here um we see dairy start to collapse and all the underground sections are like falling in we see the statue of paul bunyan explode and all these buildings start sinking in to the ground and water's kind of churning and then the Kundusky overflows its banks. And then back in the tunnels, Bill's carrying Richie, 
and they find Ben and Richie. It seemed like uh, there was a kind of a fake out where it looked like maybe Richie was dead. I don't know. Did you buy it? Did you think he was actually dead? Um, I thought there was a potential that he could be dead. Um, when he, I, I, I bought his, I bought his less than I bought like Mike's. I'll say that. Like I was like, oh, Mike might die here. But I, I thought there was a potential that he could die. I wasn't like the whole time I wasn't like, no, nah, he's not dead. Okay. Yeah. I mean, so, so we find out he was just kind of unconscious and he's fine. Um, and they, uh, they find Bev next. Bill finds Audra's body and finds out that she is alive, but unresponsive. And, um, they kind of have to do this. Like they can't carry everybody out. And so they decide to leave Eddie in its lair. And then they take Audra and they, they go out through the door real quick. Like, what did you, how did you feel about them leaving Eddie's body back behind there? Were you like, oh, he's dead, so it doesn't matter? Or did it feel like uh, an injustice? I mean, it sucks. It's definitely... I don't think they would have left him if they if they could have helped it. If it was me yeah. personally, like, if I die, just leave my body, dude. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's that's how I feel <laughs> about it. Like, yeah. so I would hope that Eddie would feel the same. But, I mean, it definitely, it definitely sucked that he went out to save all of them and then they had to leave his body behind. Yeah, I think I would have been fine with it. Like, I mean, ultimately, that's, it is what happened, but... And I'm fine with it for that reason. But I think what makes it really sad is what we get later with all the forgetting that happens. And I want to talk about that more later. But um, the idea that he's left behind and then he's forgotten is what I think it makes it really sad. Yeah, I agree. It's definitely so, sad. Yeah. So um, so uh, the library breaks apart its tunnel snapping. And it's interesting now, having read that Stephen King quote, because I think that glass tunnel between... Uh, the adult library and the children's library is like a real, it's like a, a metaphorical like nexus to, for this book. Right. And then it breaks apart at the end. I will say that until you brought that up with that quote, I didn't make the connection. Like I understood, yeah. I, I didn't even make the, con- I knew that it was an important facet of the book and they kept bringing it up, but I didn't, I didn't even make the connection that it was like literally uh, like, not, I guess it's not literally, but metaphorically, it's their childhood. It's the merge. It's like the the path it's between the, connection between the, the childhood and the adulthood. Yeah, I didn't even make the connection. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I, I, I don't know. I like that. That kind of. That's a I think a effective metaphor in that you don't necessarily know about it. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't so obvious because like a really obvious metaphor can almost be painful. It's like oh man, I didn't. Yeah, I agree. I it didn't like hit me over the head or anything. It wasn't until I read that King quote that I even thought about it. So yeah, they they take turns carrying Audra. Um, they get out by by, you know, basically using their instinct, and they come out through a cave in and escape. A bunch of people are watching them as they escape um, from the town. Uh, the rain stop. The sun peeks out, and the townsfolk begin to survey the damage. And uh, Derry vows to rebuild, but as they vow to rebuild, like the crater kind of continues to grow. Um, then we get a, a scene of the, they put Audra in an ambulance and then the group's all walking together back to the hotel. They look at their palms and they see that the scars are now gone. And, uh, then at the last moment, um, Bev sees a reflection in the glass that shows Eddie and Stan walking with them as they're on their way into the, uh, hotel. So 1958, we get the next scene of the children coming out of the pipe as well. And then we get the uh, kind of infamous scene where they cut their palms. They form a circle and Stan goes around with a with a with a glass and cuts all of their palms. And to me this feels almost a little bit redundant because I've convinced myself that that other scene is essentially more important than this in the binding of them. But this this probably is all you need and ultimately you're right. Like 
maybe this is all you really need and you don't need that other scene. But yeah, they all kind of cut their hands and cut their hands, hold and, and clasp hands and, and, and create the circle of power and vow to come again. Um, because if, if it isn't dead, they will come back. And they realize that this is the last time all seven of them are ever together in one spot again, which we know to be true because Stan dies later. So, so we move into the final interlude and it's Mike saying, talking about how Bill comes to him in the hospital and has told him that Audra's catatonic and, um, Mike essentially offers, uh, for Bill to stay at like a place he has and take care of her for a little while. Uh, Richie, we find out has flown back. And, um, we also hear that Ben and Beverly kind of go back together. Like maybe they're like an item now. And so it seems like even though, you know, stuff has been happening with her and Bill, it seems like maybe her and Ben are, are ultimately going to stay together after this. I mean, as they should, because it, it, that's always what that I felt like that was always the natural progression of these characters. I don't know that. Like, yeah. I felt like a lot of the Bill, a lot of the Bill, uh, Bev stuff was kind of. I don't know. I don't know how I felt about it. All if, in you, all. You, if if you felt like this was the more natural or the more yeah, I I understand like the the poetic the drama that it adds like by having the the love triangle and and that kind of thing. Yeah. But it to me could have not even been there and bill still would have been as important and bev would have had a, a big role still it's it's a bit of a tangent but i i do think i think to myself like how much of this could have been changed and a lot of these problems may be lessened if like say eddie had been a girl a second girl in the group yeah and then all of a sudden, like, that whole dynamic changes, you know? Definitely. Like, a lot of the problem was with Bev being the only girl, and so she was super sexualized, and it was, like, they were all in love with her all the time. And as an adult, they all thought she was super hot, and they were all kind of, like, I don't know. It, I think some of it is, is, is a little bit I mean, that's definitely a little bit weird. That's definitely the part that doesn't hold up. Like, that was, yeah. it was, you, that's, it shows its age there, and that's just, yeah. like, such a, I don't know. Yeah. I agree. In some ways, it's before its time, but then, like, yeah, that does feel like a very because I mean, you think about 1985, like that's mid 80s. That's not a very, like, you know, there's a lot of growing that society is about to go through in the next 30 years that it hasn't. I think a lot would have been added, like you're saying, but just adding one more girl. Okay, so next up, um, we get Mike talking to Richie on the phone, and it's clear that Richie is like forgetting already, and Mike can feel himself forgetting, and um. He can't remember. They can't remember Stan Uris's last name. Richie can't remember what happened to Bill's wife. And he, he like, says, oh, you know, tell tell Bill to tell his wife hello. Like, he can't even remember that Audra's, you know, catatonic. And um, then we move into the epilogue. And uh, we hear, we, we know that the physical names and addresses are fading from Mike's, like, address book. And he knows soon, they're, like, all memory of it will be utterly gone. And he can only remember Bill because Bill's still in Derry with him. And he knows that eventually he'll forget Bill too. And he talks to Bill like on the phone and Bill tells him that he's going to try something crazy. And then we get Bill looking at himself in the mirror and thinking about how old he looks. And then he's, he decides, okay, I'm going to take Audra, who's catatonic at this point, and he's going to put her on the back of Silver. And we, this is him using silver that he got in that section way long time ago and then, like, <laughs> didn't have any payoff until this final moment, right? 
and there's this this sec scene is interspersed with these thoughts about like a dream he has about leaving Derry. Um, that's kind of vague and it's kind of poetic, but um, I'm gonna focus on what happens with Audra. So he gets Audra onto his bike, and as he's riding Silver, he starts you know doing his high ho Silver routine and kind of like writing to you know what is it writing to escape the devil and there's a lot of this like the freedom and exhilaration of being a kid on a on the back of a bike and like the power that's in that seems to like somehow bring audra back to her body and like restore her consciousness and she literally wakes up and like grabs onto him and all of a sudden she like can't remember anything that happened after she got off the plane in Bangor and Bill rides through town. His stutter's gone. He thinks about this dream and he thinks about how it's good to be a child, but it's also good to be a grown up. And there's this, you talk about like the whole thing being a wheel, which makes me think of like true detective, you know, obviously many years later. <laughs> um, also talking about like time being a flat circle. And like, to me, this was similar about how like it all exists like your past and your present like coexist with each other and um that seems to be like kind of the main thing about this whole book right yeah he thinks uh he thinks about his childhood and and he can almost remember that they had like been through something crazy but ultimately he can't and i i don't know to me this is the end of the book but i think that this loss of memory to me is really sad at the end here because i i just think about all the personal growth they've gone through and how like maybe not bill because of i don't know but maybe even bill like all of them could potentially lose out on this personal growth again and i'm really worried that like a lot of them are going to fall back into like old habits and they won't even remember eddie who's dead i don't know what did you think about the ending here were you surprised by audra coming back yeah i was surprised by audra coming back because i felt like there were certain consequences needed to like stay within each person's life for them to have any sort of growth like i think it would have been weird to leave bill in a situation where he did have a catatonic wife um yeah it would have been a very different ending right it would have been pretty sad yeah all in, i mean i think it is sad it's sad with the with the loss of memories just because it it makes you think about your own life and how like you have childhood memories that like form like shaped you into the person that you are now and you don't remember them and that's like the whole that's the whole key behind this book and and coming to the end here like it, it is a big factor here at the very very end and the fact that they're all going to forget all of these things happen i think that it would have been nice had they gone back to where they like kind of remembered each other because it was the reason that they didn't remember each other before so like if they left and they forgot everything that happened but they still remembered each other it would feel better but they don't remember anything and they'll forget eddie which is it's yeah, a bummer we don't but. get any of bev and ben together but I, I left i remember feeling like i wonder if they can maybe remember more because it's two of them together you know i was just thinking about that but even that like i still feel like they're not going to remember like it just seems like i mean with the fact that like the words are literally dissolving from like the literal page like it's like some cosmic thing is ensuring that they're not going to remember this and like the macroverse itself like I'm, like as soon as they got out of that room they immediately start forgetting like what happened in the macroverse so like all this stuff is just like like maybe the human mind is not equipped to like to like hold on to it so like it can't it can't i don't know it's also scary because it's like i don't know as someone who's gone through a situation where something happened that i don't remember it can often feel like it's not real like it's like 
because you have no memory of it it feels like how like it feels like it didn't even happen to you because memory is all you have like that is your life is the things you remember so the idea that like that something so important could have happened and like they could literally have an entire friendship and like people who died and all this stuff could happen and if you forget about it it's like it, it looks like it never happened are you ready to call call it for it for for the book at least that's it we made it all the way through all the way through man we do still have the film uh to go see but yes. beyond the film that's it that's all for it and i mean i really enjoyed reading this book um more than i thought i would actually and i was excited to read it so that's a good thing yeah i mean it was i was surprised at how much i got out of it a second time through um and i it wasn't it never felt like boring or onerous to have to read it again um i don't know i was able to get enough out of it and and reading it the way I was reading it for the podcast was a whole different experience too. So I feel like now I really, really have a deep understanding of this book in a way that I didn't have before. <laughs> um, but man, I'm excited to see this movie. Um, I, I got my ticket. I'm going to see it opening night. So I'm stoked. Yeah. I can't wait to see it. It looks a lot of good creative people involved. It looks like it's going to, I think it's going to stay fairly true to what Stephen King wrote in the novel as much as they can. Yeah, I think so too. And and I'm hearing great reviews. Do you have any specific film predictions? I you know, well, obviously our controversial scene isn't going to be in there, but I'm yeah. I mean, like I think I am going to predict that they show that they do show a, a spider at the end. Okay. So if they show a spider, do you think that they show any sort of um, macroverse stuff? Yeah, that I don't actually kind of don't think they're going to do that. So nothing. It would be interesting. Are we gonna get a scene literally like like something out of Doctor Strange <laughs> with like somebody flying through the macroverse and the turtle and all that? I, I doubt it. I also doubt it. But like, how do you think they? Do you think that it's just gonna be a turtle on the ground? Like, how do you think they? I don't know, the man. Stuff? I don't know if we're gonna get any turtle stuff. There'll be a. There'll be something. There'll be an Easter egg at the very least. But maybe be an Easter but egg. But yeah, yeah. I think they, I think that if they they should definitely have like a little something. I don't think the the macroverse thing is a little much for some people, but. I think I'm excited to talk about it. I know that we're running long on time here. So real quick, I wanted to announce, or do you want to, you, you want to, you want to announce it or you want me to? Sure. Yeah. So our second project will be starting here in the next two weeks, I believe sometime in the next two yeah, weeks, something like that. So we're, we might record in a week. We're, we're going to uh, get on a more consistent schedule and start dropping on a certain day. Now that we've gotten to the point where we can see it as it releases um, our next project drum roll please is blade runner so we're gonna go yeah the new blade runner new and the old blade runner so right yeah both movies so we're gonna read the the novel which it's loosely loosely based on yeah so the novel is very different than this novel um if you've never read it it's called electric uh sorry do androids dream of electric sheep by philip k dick so if you want to go ahead and get it if you're if you're wanting to read along with us um but be forewarned it is like don't expect Blade Runner novelized because that's not what it is. Like the novelization of Blade Runner because Blade Runner is very loosely based off of this book. Um, now I haven't read it, so I actually don't know the exact ins and outs of it. So it'll be interesting because it'll be both of us experiencing it for the first time. Um, but it's a short, it's a much shorter book than it. So we're hoping we can maybe get through it in like two episodes and then, uh, and then we'll launch into the watch of the old uh, original eighties, Blade Runner, and then we'll go see Blade Runner 2049 when it's in the theater. Yeah. Original Blade Runner 1982 is, is uh, well, the final cut is, is one of my favorite films. So that's what we'll be watching, by the way, is the final cut. Um, 
Okay. So I'm excited about that because I barely remember that movie. I love I love Blade Runner, and I am excited for the new one. Uh, Denis Villeneuve is the director, and he's directed some great films recently, like Arrival, um, Prisoners. Yeah, I love Arrival. He's, he's great. Oh, uh, Prisoners was good, too. I didn't know he also did that yeah, one. he's awesome. That's he cool. did another big one that I'm forgetting. Oh, Sicario. Yeah, Sicario. Oh, I didn't. I did not see that. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, our social media. We're on Twitter at Ink to Film. Uh, we're on Instagram Ink to Film. We're on Facebook, so on and so forth. Um, if you would like to send us feedback, which we would love to hear from you about that controversial scene, or if you want to get in your predictions for the movie, or if you hear this but you've already seen the movie, and you want to fill us in on what you thought of the movie, any of that, send it to ink to film at gmail.com we'd, we'd also like to thank ross bugden for the use of our intro and outro music uh he has a youtube channel you can check out if you want any similar content to use for a project we also want to ask you guys to please rate and subscribe if you can if you're willing because that would really help us out we want to grow this podcast and um every little bit helps um <laughs> your rating will help i guarantee it <laughs> yeah and then Another thing is, if you like our podcast, show it to a friend, pass it around. We're trying to, yeah. we're trying to get, we're trying to break out there. We're trying to see if we can get some, we're looking for new people to engage with and, and, uh, hopefully we'll hear from some new ones soon. Yeah. And if you've, you've been like sitting here waiting for us to do a non-horror <laughs> horror thing, we got our new project coming up with the sci-fi, sci-fi romp. So look forward to that. Yep. It'll be a much shorter project than it. And, uh. We're looking forward to it. All right. Uh, and that's it for our coverage of the novel. Thanks for listening. I'm Luke. And I'm James. All right. We'll see you for the movie.